0: It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, my mandate is coming from the prophet Jeremiah. If you open Jeremiah 29 verses 13. Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 13. And I must say this that this is one of my most favorite scriptures. Not that I don't regard or love the rest of the scriptures because all scripture is profitable and, you know, they come with their rhema in the time when you need them. But for me, in defining my calling, my ministry, there are those scriptures that were foundational in establishing whatever God has done through my life because through their lenses I saw so much and Jeremiah 29 verses 13 happens to be one of those deeply, uh, deeply revered uh, scriptures for me because of the understanding I pick from that light and even in my altar at home where I pray, I have a small sculpture of a man seated on a stone reading his Bible. And inscribed on that sculpture is Jeremiah 29 verses 13. This is why. Because of the promise spoken through this prophecy. He said, and ye shall seek me and, he has promised find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. He didn't consider who you are, how old you are, what foundation you're coming from, what age you are, what color you are, your qualifications in life. He said, if you seek me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. The Amplified Bible says, and you will seek me, inquire for me, and require me as a vital necessity and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When you search for God, With all your heart, he has given the guarantee you will find him. That's amazing. So it's the affirmation that some of us have, the confidence that we have, that we are not seeking God in vain. The Bible says that he has not called Jacob. Isaiah 45, verse 19, he says, I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of earth. I said not unto the seed of Jacob, seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, he says, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. I have not called you to seek me in vain. So whoever seeks will find, if you seek him with all your heart. But also, it brings a deeper conversation here. A conversation of this personal relationship that God requires of you as an individual in order to find him as an individual. It's a very important text for you to examine. That is why I felt this morning or afternoon that it's the foundation from where I'm going to build our conversation. And if you are writing the title of this sermon, you could write authentic faith, authentic faith. You could put a full column and then write prioritizing personal experiences over external influences. Prioritizing personal experiences over external experiences. Authentic faith. We're in a time where we have to define the authenticity of our faith to express and explain to the people that observe our lives that indeed when we say we believe God, we really do believe God. And this begins from us defining our personal experiences with God, our personal relationships with God, because we're living in a time where people have not learned yet the wisdom of living from their inward journey. They live from the experiences without, from the opinions without. They live in the realms of what people think about God, not necessarily what they personally know about God. So it's opinions versus revelations. They cannot understand the transformative nature of personal experiences. And because the world without us, outside us, is defining our even our personal prayer life, we are moving at the dictates, of other people's understandings of God. We are surviving on other people's incense and flames. And it's okay only for a while when you're a child, but as you mature, you'll learn to build your own experiences and live according to those experiences. Are you following me, child of God? This is a very important thing I cannot emphasize enough because the reason why we have such a weak Christianity today It's because the biggest percentage of Christians are living from without, not from within. There's not so much we can show concerning this relationship with God, but we're always defining things as they happen with other people, forgetting that God is not going to hold us accountable of other people's lives. He's going to hold us accountable of our own lives. Hallelujah, somebody. In Psalms 34, verses 8, the psalmist brings a conversation here. He says, All test and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. He said, all test and see. This is again a personal call. He's not saying survive by other people's explanations of their test. Is saying, you test for yourself and see that God is good. If I have a piece of biscuit and somebody says, this biscuit is wonderful, test it. It's delicious. And then I test that biscuit. And then somebody tells me, what do you feel? And I say, it's delicious, it's this, it's that you know, the ingredients, the condiments in there are just amazing. This is me giving my personal experience. Somebody cannot ride on that experience to say that the biscuit that I'm eating is a good biscuit. Until you test it yourself, you'll never know how it tastes. Here, test is T-A-S-T-E, not T-E-S-T. But when we teach this portion of Scripture, many a time, many ministers I have heard, they sort of interpret this portion as though we're telling people to test, T-E-S-T. God does not leave or function in places where men are trying to test, T-E-S-T, whether he is God. That's unbelief. Salvation is a life of relationship, isn't it? Can you enter marriage... Testing to see whether this woman will be a good wife. Answer me. You say, let me test and see whether my husband will be a good man. And then you go ahead and marry. If you cannot have that in a relationship, what makes you think in a love relationship between a husband and wife, why do you think that that would be the experience God expects of you with him? That means you don't believe in the relationship. Here he used testing, T-A-S-T-E. And if you study the root translation there, and I want you to note this statement here that I'm going to make. If you study the root translation there of testing, it's likened to a man expressing themselves in the least they're able to believe God and they will see that he is good. This is a place of believers. It's not a place of, unbelievers or non-believers trying to be invited to believe by exercising themselves or testing God to see whether he will work. That's the wrong interpretation of Psalms 34 verses 8. Bible says there that come to God, must know that he is. Hebrews 11 verses 6. When you come to God, you must know that he is And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is not the God you go to and say, ah, let me just see, maybe he will work for me. No, you go to him knowing that he is God, therefore he will work. But we all have different degrees of that expression. We all have different ranks in our walk of faith. Somebody is able to believe God for a million shillings tomorrow morning. Somebody is able to believe God for a billion shillings tomorrow morning, somebody is able to believe God for a trillion and all of us have our variations and that's okay because this is a process. The life of faith is a life that must explain some sort of process, never forget that. This righteousness, the Bible says, of God is revealed from faith. To faith. It's in the rightness of God for you to have a process of coming from one level of faith to the next level of faith to the next level of faith because you need a process. The day you came out of your mother's womb, you didn't start running. You didn't start chewing meat. You began with milk and started a journey. That's just the righteousness of God. It's in His rightness to say, you cannot preserve or keep a thing whose process you have not appreciated or undergone. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a process. If you're making 300,000 shillings, you got in shillings, or probably about $80, American United States dollars, and then you say that I have faith that tomorrow I'm going to have a million dollars, you must be able to explain the process of how you shift from 80 or 100 dollars a month to a million dollars it's in the righteousness of god for you to be able to have a justification a vindication of the spirit that truly verifies that you are worth your salt there has to be a process and we're a generation, especially this younger generation, that does not respect processes. We don't respect patterns. If you're a pastor and you're running a church of about 10 members for 12 years or 13 years, then you say, tomorrow by faith, or next week by faith, I'm going to do a stadium of 70,000 people. Bible says, who of you desiring to build does not first calculate the cost. If you are going to build a tower, Luke fourteen twenty-eight, sit down first and count the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it. And verses 29 says, list happily after you've laid the foundation, you're not able to finish it. And all that are looking at you start to mock saying hmm look at this person they said they were going to do something and they were not able i have been in salvation for many years now i have seen ministers make these mistakes every day and they call that faith but in the expression of that faith you cannot see the process that leads them to the results that they are trying to build To get this stadium, you need, firstly, the provision. Either the stadium management will give it to you for free or some people will give you the money for that and then you'll need the equipment to set up. But above all, you need the spiritual foundation to be able to draw the hearts of men to sit in that stadium, right? Now, if every day the grace on your life has been calling 10 to sit under you, which is okay, don't jump to 70 or 80,000 tomorrow morning. Allow this process to take its course. You understand what I'm saying? Now, there are leaps. I believe I call them the leaps of faith. There are people who can connect into certain dimensions and be able to bring some supernatural quickening, unusual acceleration, build some sort of momentum. But every time you study such people, and you get to the foundation of their lives, you will find there was a process that was just hidden. There was a gestation period. There was an incubation period. I've given that example of a mother hen sitting on her. Eggs. There's just chicks in there. When you look at this shell, this shell is, there's nothing moving. But something is growing in there. You get it? Then tomorrow, from within, the chick outgrows its surrounding and breaks out into another world. But because you've been seeing this shell every day and there's no movement on it, today, I mean that there was no movement within. There was always a process that brought that person to that manifestation. When we started Fenero, people started explaining different reasons why we were growing exponentially. But there was 10 years of preparation. 10 From the time God told me, I'm going to start a ministry through you, I was running one and it wasn't really a success as I had expected. There was some sort of frustrated potential because what I felt inside me was not displaying from without. And so I had some sort of discomfort. The Lord said, I'm going to take you through a journey and teach you some things. When that readiness comes, then I'll establish. So it was 10 years of incubation. Because every person should know. Those of you who understand normal growth or development, as God has built this pattern in life, we all start from incubation period. Everything is incubated first. Everything is gestated first before it becomes. So for me, it was 10 years. Now I have spiritual sons who will not need 10 years. Why? Because I will give some of what I have to them. But they also have their own periods of gestation, incubation although we might vary in how or from where God will deal with them according to what God has placed on their lives, but every man who has been used mightily or will be used mightily by God has a time where they waited on God, has a time where God dealt with them. If you run faster than you should but you carry no process to under guard the success chances are that you will fail God has not designed the world to function that way. That is why some of you who have read stories of people who are betting and gambling and stuff, they lose their wealth. Because there is a process of building wealth. Proverbs 13 verses 11 tells you that wealth from a get-rich-quick scheme quickly disappears. But wealth from hard work grows over time. Little by little, cent upon cent, dollar on dollar, eventually build the wealth. You might do it faster than another person, but there's still a process. Give me the KJV. He says, wealth gotten by vanity, he says, shall be diminished. But he that gathereth by labor, by labor, shall increase. So you appreciate the virtue of labor. You go look for a job, you start a business, God will bless the works of your hands. You see what I'm saying? If you just wake up tomorrow, that's why many children, when parents die and they leave an inheritance, many children literally are killed by their inheritance because they are not ready for it. Parents, you have a job here. They are killed by their inheritance. And here I'm talking about spiritual death. That a child can die spiritually because they've been given what they cannot manage. You remember the story of the prodigal son when he started to eat the husks of the swine? You remember? And then he returns back home. When he returns back home, his brother feels angry because his father has given attention to the younger brother. What did the father say? The father told him, my son, all that I have, he's already yours. But consider your brother. He said two things. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. But the father uses dead. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Why does he use the word dead? Because inheritances without a foundation can kill you. Inheritances, parents, without the right foundation can destroy your children and the very things you sweated to build. That is why it's important to raise a child from year one, preparing them to know how to deal with the laws of inheritance. There are principles scripturally that are given for us to know how to deal with inheritances. It's your responsibility to know how to leave your child and your child's child. He says that a wise man, a prudent man will preserve his generation, his children, and his children's children. You know how to extend an inheritance. He says he liveth an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner he says is laid up for the just so the wealthy but as sinners are preparing for us and our children but he says you should know how to extend wealth to your child and your child's child so it's never what you leave for them but what you leave in them what you leave in them this is important it's those little small principles and i pray god gives me the grace one time to be able to explain you find a child who has inherited millions of dollars but they don't even have the attitude the right attitude of understanding what it means to be in such a place because they don't know the responsibility that comes with having that much in a world where people in a lifetime or in thousands of generations might never see these are important things to consider And some parents who are alive right now, I can tell you for a fact, they know that after they are gone, they can't tell the next generation or the generation after that one because of the foundation. These things are important and we must learn them early. Praise the Lord Jesus. So there is a process to life. There is a process to ministry. It's from faith to faith. But to test, you see, There's two words here. To test a thing and to eat it are two different things. You get it? Here he's talked about testing, not eating. That means you're expressing yourself in the least you're able to believe and say, at least I'm able to believe God to this far. And your faith will grow when you have a true estimate, really, of how far you can stretch yourself in faith. Because then it humbles you to know how many steps are ahead of you. And then calls for the humility that is required to apply yourself to the process to grow. Because I have seen people who are so proud in their deception that they assume that they are in a place they are actually not. You find a pastor quarreling. Oh, I entered the room and very disrespectfully, they didn't even recognize me. And I'm thinking, there's a time where you can't be ignored. And that honor only God can give you. But before you earn that, if you're given a back seat, sit and wait on God. Because the honor God gives you, you will get to a point one day where even if they want to ignore you, the grace on your life they can't ignore. And it comes through the cultivation of a certain presence on your life. It's a process. But as you continue to grow, it continue to grow, sorry. You reach a place where, wherever you are, you'll be identified that there's something on that man or woman. But allow the due process. Do not be deceived by the appointments you received. And some of them even received these appointments from another indifferent kind of people who even didn't appoint the right rank, but they were using them or taking advantage of them because they were the gifted and available So they assumed that they were the qualified. And they said, Today I've ordained you as a pastor. You sit down and ask this person, What makes you a pastor? And truly, nothing really makes them a pastor. You will always have envies and stripes with people. You'll be evil speaking. You'll always be indifferently treated in places where you expect to be rightly treated. There is a place, I have realized, where God will get you to the attention of people because he knows you're mature enough to handle it. If you fight yourself there, you're in trouble because you have disrespected the process. You're two years, three years in marriage, you have a journey You're going to make five years and 10 years and 12 years and there are things you're going to learn at the seventh year of your marriage that you could not have known at your first year of marriage as those who are married because we're human beings we change and some of you that's when as you continue in marriage that's when you realize ah this is why god sent this person to me this is why i'm the one in their life or they're the ones in my life you might not appreciate it in the first three months of marriage Because it's a process. Some are quicker, like I said. You can find some people who are seven or eight years in marriage, but they are like 20 years old in marriage. But again, like I said, if you go back from the foundation, there was a seed and harvest principle. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You reap what you sow. For whatsoever a man soweth, he shall reap. If you're a giver, you will reap wealth. I started tithing when I was 15. And most of the wealth I saw, I saw when I was 29 and 30. But from 15, there was a gestation period. And I used to go into these pockets and only fill cotton. And maybe a few holes in the back pocket. But you don't faint in doing good. Because in due course, the Bible says, you shall reap a harvest if you do not faint. This comes from a place of personal experience. That I tried him with 10,000 shillings. And my cousin sister or uncle gave me 20 or 200,000. Yes, it was not enough to buy me a suit. But I tested and knew that he was good. He didn't need to give me a million pounds to know his goodness. It's in those little small things. When you were a faithful tither, yes, you're still living in a rented apartment or perhaps somebody's giving you a place to sleep, but there was that time your hair looked so bad in a mirror and God remembered your seed and somehow somebody came and said, I want to sponsor you, go to the salon. Ah, your faith can only extend itself to such dimensions, but you have proved in that little that God is good. Are you learning something? So testing and eating are two different things, but we all begin from testing. You a little here, you express yourself a little there, and then you continue to grow in the things of the Spirit. That's what he's saying here. But again, you see, this is a personal journey. It's not a journey you will refer with everyone. It's a journey that is personal. In principle and truth. You're the only one who can explain your test. You own your testimony. Because nobody is stronger than you in your realm. If I, when you start to see, and I'm going to share something very deep, it's a deep wisdom here. If you ever find that you live in a life where people are able to infringe in your personal realm, then chances are that either there's a process, there's a gap in your processes, that specific process, or you don't yet understand your personal relationship with God. Let me explain this. Nobody is stronger than you in your realm. Nobody is stronger than you in your realm. Not even God is stronger than your will. You get it? God fought with man in Genesis chapter 6, verses 3. He fought with them. He fought. He strived. He applied his strength. And with his own words said, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that is also his flesh. He stopped fighting with man. He gave you something powerful called will. He can't force you to be saved or receive salvation if you don't want to. Nobody is stronger than you in your realm. God cannot force you to get married to that man if you don't want to. doesn't matter whether he wants you to or not. He cannot force you to pray if you don't want to pray. Because this is a place where he doesn't want to have a mechanical relationship with you. You're not a robot. You're not built on a system of binaries one and zero to have a command or program. Like a computer. He wants a love relationship with you. That it's out of your will that you express your emotions to tell God I love you. I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Somebody says, if you don't love me, nobody will marry you. You're wasting time. (laughs) If she doesn't love you, she doesn't. Even God wants for her. Just move on. There's 8 billion people on the face of the earth. Chances are there are more women. So, you move on. You understand? Nobody's stronger than you in your realm. If you find some spirit or some person imposing themselves beyond your will, that's the spirit of manipulation. That's Jezebel. Are you following what I'm saying? That is why if you understand this, you'll grow in faith, you'll understand what authentic faith is. This is for the mature. You'll understand until you say, I'm going to go to heaven, you can't die. You'll understand that until you say, I've allowed to fail, you don't fail. Because this is your space. The Bible says, He has blessed eternity in the hearts of men. Yes, blessed eternity. Eternities in your spirit, that unceasing realm with its continuous provisions, have been given to man. What a glory! Oh, he made me do this. I didn't want to. How can that happen to you? She made me do this. I didn't want. How can that happen to you? That's why God has a problem with Adam. It was the woman you gave me. What? what? Adam, why did God come looking for you? Why didn't he look for the woman? Why did he come saying, Adam, where are you? That was the wrong answer. Are you following what I'm saying? So to test is to express yourself in the list of the faith you're able to apply. You will know that God is good. And he says, blessed is the man which trusteth in him. So you see, he has brought back the conversation after the full colon. In other words, the testing is a place of trusting him. It's not a place of trying to see whether he will work. It's a place of knowing he can work, but you are trying to express yourself only in as far as you're able to believe. Hmm? You can't wake up and say, tomorrow in the name of Jesus, I'm going to buy Seventy banks. Not that's impossible. No, with God, all things are possible. But what's the process you need to buy 70 banks? What does that do or mean to an economy? And the nations where these banks are? What would a man who owns 70 banks look like individually? What mindset should they have? Because these banks are people keeping their own money. Is a woman whose savings are on that account, but those savings are the very money she's using out of the capital that she has had to pay fees for her child, and she's a single mother, and God cares that she's banking in that bank. Do you? Or for you, you want to own 70 banks? 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 3. He says, talk no more exceeding proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him your actions are weighed. You want 70 banks for what? So I can show them that I have 70 banks. That's why we look strange. That's why Christians are starting to look strange to the people who study us they're thinking but do you understand what you're saying are you following can i go deeper he brings that same expression in first peter to the first verse he explains that if you don't understand this process if you have not understood the place of testing the goodness of god and his grace You're going to find yourself indifferent to those who are a success. Because you'll be like, why am I not married when so-and-so is married? Then you'll want to look for excuses for why they're married or when you're not married. That's what he says. He says, lay aside all malice, all guile and hypocrisy and envies and all evil speakings and he says as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby if so be that you have tested the Lord and that he is gracious if you have tested if you know you have exercised yourself in a certain dimension and it has worked just continue reading the word and desire it so that you can grow and do more than you did yesterday otherwise if you don't you're going to be a hypocrite you're going to always speak evil about people you'll always be malicious with other people you'll always carry guile and jealousy and many Christians are like that because you're seeing other people are scaling up and you don't see results in your life you start now pointing fingers That woman has, today one of our church members told me, he has a sister who has six children, six children, and her first relationship failed. And a man came, and he wanted that one. And there's one who is 28, 34. And they're praying, father, husband, now, This six, this mother of six comes and tells you I'm married. If you don't know how God works, you'll try to look for another explanation why she's married. Ah, she went to which doctor? Evil speaking. Have you been around Christians who are always intimidated by other people's successes and they try to water down other people's successes? because in that they will be justifying their own failure oh he's a pastor because he went under water if he didn't use juju, he would not have a ministry oh so why is your ministry not a success because me I'm believing God only (laughs) pastor (laughs) are you following what I'm saying she got that job because she slept with a boss. Not every woman sleeps without <laughs> yeah, boss. And you go and sit down with this lady and realize, no, she also had her incubation where she was borrowing money, living, you know, under hardship and, and she was trying to pay rent but she refused to sleep with a certain Samson and, and she chose to keep her body and somehow God looked at her faithfulness and rewarded it. Now, And that's how you know whether your faith is authentic or not. Because if somebody has not yet seen the goodness of God, but they're in gestation period, they're in incubation, they know they're simply standing still. They're not stuck. But if somebody has no relationship with God and their faith is not authentic, they are stuck. That is why some of you, when you go for prayers, you go to a pastor and tell him, I'm stuck. I've done business or I've tried to believe God for a marriage for... A person who is under incubation can't go for a prayer and say they're stuck. They can say, I'm still under incubation. Thank God for me that I'm quickened to bring forth. But they can't say, authentic faith can't say that I'm stuck. Because you're living by external influences. You're not living by the inward testimony of your relationship with God and what you know about Him to be true. Are you learning something? So the envy comes. The evil speakings come. The malice comes. You get married and somebody stops greeting you. <laughs> eh? When you were not yet married, they were your friend. But the day you got married, you became their enemy. Not because you did anything wrong, but you were elevated. That is why I warn you, Christians don't expect elevations that will not come with persecution choose if you want to be at peace with everyone and politically correct choose to be stuck you'll be everyone's friend but as for me and my house will go forward and upward only glory to god glory to god Glory to God! It might be delayed, but I feel the baby. I feel its heartbeat. Hallelujah! I have a member in this church. She came to me and they told us her baby was dead. Mm-mm. They gave her medicine to flush the baby out. She said, "No, not my child." She refused. Right now, she's holding her daughter in her hands. Now, has every woman who has believed God that way, seen the results? If they believe with authentic faith, yes. But some tried and it didn't work. Doesn't mean it doesn't work. You grow. You celebrate who it has worked for. You saw a seed in their lives and say, God, I'm connecting to what is working in this man's life. But some of you, ah, she got this baby from... Witchcraft! Some of you, I don't understand how you think. Are you following what I'm saying? Personal experiences. I'm going to give you a story. The last story I'll read. It's pretty long, but you'll love it because it will express what I'm trying to uh, explain to us tonight. Now, in John, the ninth chapter, there's a man which was born blind. Some of you know the story. Jesus is passing by. He sees a blind man from birth. And I'll skip through the story because if you want to read. And then his disciples asked him, Who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must do the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can walk. Now, I have a sermon explaining what this portion of Scripture means because, listen, there are people who think that this portion of Scripture means that the man was blind from birth so God would reveal his glory. That's a wrong interpretation of that Scripture. If you study that text, God is not In fact, the scriptures tell us, God cannot tempt with evil, neither is he tempted by evil. James tells us. Let no man say when he's tempted that I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man with evil. He doesn't tempt you with evil. He can't say, let me make you uh, crippled such that I can show my power through you. That's a wrong interpretation of scripture. As a parent, can you say, Let me give birth to a deaf child so I can show the power of God. What kind of selfishness is that? If you can't do it for your daughter, how do you think your heavenly father would do that? Yet he loves you more than you love your child. Are you following what I'm saying? That is not God. So in principle jesus says no he didn't sin, no his parents but you know why the disciples asked because the jewish cultures then the teaching the Judaism teachings then alluded to the scene a person would have even in the womb i don't know how that works but they sought it that first so as strange as it might sound to you for them it wasn't strange it was a valid question are you following but jesus says no it's not about sin because i don't tempt neither am i tempted by evil but in spite of all this, the works of God must be done while it's still day because the night comes. And then he healed the man. How? He built spittle. The Bible tells us. Uh, he spat on the ground, made clay with his spittle, and then he anointed the eyes of this man. And then told him, go in the pool of Siloam, meaning scent, and wash your eyes there. And the man goes to the pool of Siloam, washes his eyes, and he comes back seeing. John chapter 9, verse 7. He comes back with sight. Now, the interesting part. The neighbors who knew him before, because he was a beggar, who knew him before, said, is this not the guy who sat around begging, who was blind? Some said, This is he. Others said, It looks like him. But he said, I am what? I am he. So, when he did, they asked, How were the eyes open? They're curious to know because it had never been seen in history for a blind man to see. He answered, that a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash and went and washed and I received sight. Then they asked, where is he? They're asking a man who was blind, who went to Siloam blind, where is Jesus? He says, I don't know. Now, they take him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees received the story And verses 14 brings another conundrum, another challenge. It was Sabbath day that Jesus did the miracle. Now, they know in their understanding and teaching that you shall honor the Sabbath. You shouldn't do anything. How is this guy healing on the Sabbath? You see the problem with people? You're healed. But their problem is on a Sabbath. Hmm? their problem is that they don't care how many results you have they care that you don't fit in their pattern of results do you know there's a person you can meet and tell them my marriage was failing and I went to Fanero we started hearing Apostle Grace and our marriage healed And their problem is still that you went to Apostle Grace <laughs> they don't care whether your marriage is working their problem is you're still at Apostle Grace's church. You understand? As though it's mine. Did you get it? So, for them, their problem is Sabbath. You're going to love this. So, the Pharisees asked him, This is the first time they asked, verses 15. And I want you to follow. First time they ask, How did you receive your sight? He tells them. Jesus put clay upon my eyes, washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not a man of God because he does not keep the Sabbath. They are speaking before a man who was blind that this man is not of God. They are speaking before a man who has just received the miracle and they are convincing him that even though you can see, this man is not of God. Now, they provoke some level-headed, balanced individuals who had some level of thinking. Others said, how can a man, this Jesus, that is a sinner, do such miracles? Okay, okay, he's a sinner. Why is he the one opening the blind eye? When you the righteous... can't heal a flu are you following what I'm saying now the voice of reason has come when you make that kind of question they can't debate that because it's a fact the eyes see how can they debate that they'll either have to look for another reason why the miracle has happened or if they can't debate against the miracle they're going to want to disqualify the witness by questioning whether it is even a miracle and these Pharisees because they could not doubt that this man was blind and he could see now they are looking for evidences against this we either attack this testimony to really prove was he really blind in the first place because it's true the eye has seen praise the Lord verse 16 right so there was division among them so one group is saying "Mm -mm." guys this can't be done except by God another group is saying "Mm -mm," on a Sabbath verse 17 they say unto the blind man again what says thou of him that he opened your eyes what do you say of this person they are still asking he said he is a what prophet but the Bible says in verse 18 the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind you see and received his sight so they said let's call his parents (laughs) do you understand what I'm saying hear this ministry teaches this how can you say that she's the one keeping herself Mm -mm. let's explore a bit more because now it's not about trying to really confirm whether it's true or not no cognitive dissonance has placed them in a place where they don't know what to do if it is true because this is going to break their whole philosophy about god and the schools they have built, their homes, the houses, the visas they have had, traveling in, yeah, in and yeah out, printing a thing that doesn't work. And they found a woman for whom it's working. So you're literally saying, our 40 years of labor are nothing. Uh Uh-uh. Ego was inflated and they said, no, we need to question this thing. Ultimately, we want to know, are they really trying to find out the truth or they're trying to simply cover their indifference because will they listen to you dear Pharisee anymore when there's a young man opening blind eyes do you see the challenge let's continue so they go to the parents and ask is this your son who you say was born blind how then does he see they're still asking This second or third time now. His parents answered and said, we know that this is our son. And we know that he was born blind. But how he sees, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Why don't you at least first acknowledge that he sees May God give you testimonies (laughs) that some people will stammer, eh? that some people will stutter to interpret because they don't know how to explain them. You know there are testimonies that are explainable, but there are also miracles that cannot be. Let 2024 be the year. Where you do things that they cannot explain until even those who are related to you are almost to the verge of denying you because it is overwhelming. shall amen. So they say ah, we don't know. but he's of age. Ask him. let him speak for himself.. <clears throat> but the Bible says in verses 22, this words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So, because they fear to be chased out of their home church, they fear that when they die, they will not bury them. They started to deny the miracle of a blind boy who was seen, their own son. And some of you are exactly that way. You're laughing at him, them, but you're exactly that way. Some of you consume me like a drug. You're on live stream every time watching. <laughs> and when they say, do you know Fanero? They say, I don't know. <laughs> but the view saw us. At like your own washing and you're blessed. But you fear that if you tell your friends that you know us, they might not bury you, they'll chase you out of the synagogue. Some saint will reject you. You got married here, you came with a sickness, you were healed here, um, and you can't put on a funeral t shirt. When you're sick, you need our hand. When you're healed, you can't even put on a t shirt. You can't put on a sticker. How can they know? How am I obese? What will they think? Eh. Your faith is not authentic. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, and to the Gentile. One pastor accused another pastor. A pastor was running for an office, a spiritual office, one of those umbrellas. And so one pastor stands up in the meeting and said, This man should not be a part of us because every Thursday he's in Fanero, sitting in front so the pastor they accused also stands up and said there is also no difference between my accused and I because how does he see me every Thursday <laughs> 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 are you following what I am saying have been saved but you cannot testify I met a lady recently in Ghana she was from Rwanda origin and in COVID she was broke and her son were in the house very broke and she's in arrears rent and everything was out this lady listens to someone in COVID and it stirred her she called her son and said, listen to what this man is saying. She got a pen and paper and said, by the end of this month, April, I'll have a sign for an international job. She wrote, by 5th June, I should be in my office working. Because of a summons." End of month, the son tells mama, 28, 26 there. Where is the testimony? You said there was a testimony. She said it's coming. The last day of that month, was April or May, she received an invitation for an interview. The last day, as she had written, because of a sermon. It was, I think, April. May, she did her interviews and everything. They give an appointment later. She flies to Ghana to work and her reporting date was false. Her boss calls her and says, we don't think you should report today, report tomorrow. As it was in the what? Her testimony. According to the sermon she what? She heard. I find and she tells me, now everywhere I go, Apostle Grace, I tell them about God. She became a witness for a God who works. Now you find somebody with such a testimony and you ask them, which someone were you listening to? And they say, some pastor. Because I ashamed you. You understand what I'm saying? That's a problem. You have a problem. The problem is not me. Because more will get the miracle. I was in the U.S. once I was praying for a lady in the line. She had, I think, a swelling. And I prayed for her. It disappeared instantly. I told her, go and testify right now. Now the lady says, Apostle, please, please tell me anything. <laughs> don't take me to testify, I fear. So I told her, ma'am, if you're not healed, don't. Because you'll be lying to yourself and God. But if you know that that tumor has left your body. She said, I swear by God, that tumor has left. So I said, God testify. I said, Apostle. has left your body which could potentially take your life and you're still shy to testify of God some of you the things God has done in your life and you enter the a place where your people know you and you hide your Bible are you born again? what do you think? God should help some of you. God should help some of you. Be bold about what you know. God has done in your life. So let's finish because of time. So the parents say he's of age because they fear to be just out of the synagogue. 24, they again called the man that was blind and said to him, give God praise. So we know that this man Jesus is a sinner. Don't disrespect God by saying that this man is righteous. And then he answered, whether, now th- this is authentic faith. This is personal. Whether this man is a sinner or no, I don't know. Don't. But one thing I know is that whereas I was blind, now I see. Oh, Pentecostal preachers are fake, they manipulate people. If they do or they don't, I don't want. But I can only tell of my what my experience. I came in the ministry without a job and something was declared and I received my job tell what you know tell what you know if you are not there, don't tell Who oh, there are thieves did they steal you? did they rob you? no, they robbed my friend were you the one robbed? no Speak what you know. God will not judge you for speaking what you knew. A lady came in the ministry. Her and her husband were very not doing well. We helped them. She couldn't conceive. I remember one day, the anointing of God comes upon me, and I call her by name. I told her, come, she came. I said, your womb has been opened. She conceived in just days. Are you following? Then, somebody walks to this lady and tells her, oh, you know, that man uses fake powers. They're from hell. He's not a man of God. And she left the ministry and she's preaching now against the ministry. And I was thinking, bring back the baby too. (laughs) Because if the baby came from hell, bring back the hell baby. (laughs) But your baby is a good child, and the man who prayed over that child is the wrong one. You should have also dumped the child and said, I want nothing from Hey, because it was by the prayer. You get my point. Some of you must grow up. What do you know? I know a parent who was invited to the ministry by her children, very good children, by the way, whose lives changed. This woman walks to me and said, Apostle Grace, you know why I'm joining for now? I've seen transformation in my daughters, how they talk to me, how they deal with me, how they I'm changed. Then somebody takes her out for a cup of tea and tells her how well, we have snakes, where things and she believed next thing I know the woman says I'm not going back to that demonic church but her children are transformed you get my point up to today her children still come to church because they have seen God here but I'm thinking some of you parents what if those children were in rehab what if that one of those children was you know killed by the things that used to disturb them because I know their stories. Do you know what it's like for a parent to go to sleep and not be worried that they're going to wake you up at 3 a.m. that your daughter is drunk on gingerbread? Do you know what it means? For so that, keep quiet. Speak what you know and say, okay, I might not know what, but this is what I know i met a lady in the uk her marriage was on the verge i think she's zimbabwe her marriage was on the verge of collapsing fudge just so one of those days she's scrolling through youtube and then she meets this video of my wife kneeling down greeting me because my wife has never greeted me standing i've never asked for it i don't desire it but that's just how she's built i'm a blessed man no yeah so that's just how she's built So. But I'm not saying that because you don't kneel before your husband, you're a bad woman or what. No, no, no. Every house has its own ways. But that's how it works in my house. I'm a king. So. So. That little action of my wife, which I have never required of her or even judged her for not. In fact, I don't feel comfortable her doing. That's how her mother raised her. So. This lady started to say, who's... Wife is this. She goes on YouTube and finds marriage series, funeral marriage. She Googled marriage, said listening to marriage series. After some time in London, this man is sitting on, and there was, she was one of them. She told me testimony by husband, one of the most rebellious people he had ever met. She comes kneeling down. <laughs> she gives him food. He says, "Me, I'm not eating it. So you want to kill me? I'm not eating that food. What? What do? What have I done? What? What? what have I done? What? Why are you kneeling? Now, for the fellow to adjust, it took him about three months to understand that there was transformation." He was already worried with these people that this woman is taking me out anytime, if you're here, anytime. She's serving me food on time. She's greeting me, my Lord. (laughs) Now, until he asks, "Mm -mm, what happened? And then she points at the summons. Now these are some of the most faithful people we have in the ministry. But imagine, imagine that kind of marriage being fixed. And then tomorrow they say, ah, don't go back to Fanero. They teach that people should sleep around. You understand? They won't get it. Because we don't teach that. You see what I'm saying? But then if such a couple tomorrow say, ah, we're not going back to that church. Hmm. I'll be thinking so your faith was in external opinions some of you are just another man's opinion away from falling out of your course you don't have your own personal testimony because you need to first look at at yourself and examine yourself before the message came you were you had a tantrum, you had a bad attitude you you were indifferent jealous, envious. you were a thief and now look at you Now, you judge, listen, you judge the very people that sacrifice their life and abandon their families to give you life. At the expense of people who don't know them, neither care whether you're okay or not, whether you're blind or you're not. Some of you must mature. And this is not too funeral. This is a message to the body of Christ. Some of you, the things your pastors have done in your lives. You're just ingrates. You're ungrateful people. What's your testimony? Leave what they tell you. Because today now we're in the world where it's as though it's just become a culture. To speak about Christians. And some of you are participating. You're always giving opinions, even what you don't know. Even when you are not, you're always giving opinions about your neighbor, your sister, your man of God. You're wasting time. Jesus is about to return. What's your testimony? This was the thing this man was trying to emphasize. Then, let's continue a bit before I finish. Verses 26, then they said to him, fourth time, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Uh uh-huh. First, repeat again the story. You say they opened your eyes. Ah, okay. Oh, repeat again. You say they opened your eyes. The Bible says they reviled him. It's Twenty-seven. He says, "I told you already." and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Unless you're telling me you also want to be his disciples. (laughs) Do you want to know? Or you're debating to win? They revile him and they say, no, for us we are followers of Moses. We can't follow uh, that kind of man. First, this is what we know about Moses. This is what Moses spoke. This is what he said. Verse 30, the man answered and said to them, why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from where he is, and yet he has opened my eyes. He's trying to tell them, how can you guys who claim to know God, not know where such a man who does such a miracle with, by God can do it, yet you've been in the synagogues teaching this thing for years. The man was marveled. The man was marvelled. They became annoyed too. He told them, "Now we know that God heareth not sinners." And then he continues to say, "Verses thirty-three. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing." When they realized the man had kept the testimony, they now turned to the man also and said, "You a sinner." Read thirty-four. You're also born in sins actually it seems the blindness was because you were a sinner. So what authority do you have to teach us? You see now they were disqualifying Christ now they're at the point of now disqualifying. the attacks they put on the church are on Christianity. Don't give opinions. don't give opinions. Give the revelations of the God you know. That's our mandate. To preach the gospel to the world. Don't give opinions. Don't sit where opinions are. Sit where revelation is. Because if they can't disqualify the Christ, they will disqualify you eventually. They will disqualify you. What do you know? build your own personal testimony. Because something is rising in Africa. Do you know that? And it's scaring a few people. We shall have indifferent different people among us, crazy people, mad people, but the church of Christ is still strong and it still has some righteous men and women who carry a testimony beyond food and shelter they have seen God a certain way build personal experiences with God such that you never fall off the faith because a man of God has fallen if we are not the kind you understand look for another man you can understand but please stay in the faith don't lose your faith because of us men of God or ministers. The treasures are in nothing vessels. Don't lose your faith. Keep your course. Keep your course. Do you know how many people are not coming to church anymore? And sometimes it's not the reasons that, oh, this person did this to me. No. Sometimes it's because they didn't have enough foundation to build an authentic faith based on their personal trust in God. They were working on proxies. They were praying because the man of God was praying. They were fasting because the man of God was fasting. If he doesn't fast, they fall off. That's not how you should be. If we fall, you stand, carry us, but stay standing. You get my point? Don't lose your course. Don't lose direction of what God is doing in these times. Hallelujah. Speak what you know. Now, you're going to take a few minutes just to speak to God, and this is what we really want to tell God. Help us to stay or live in the world of what you're doing in us, not outside us, and help us to get the testimony of your work in our lives, and speak only what we know. Give us experiences that we can testify of your goodness to those that are dying and lost that there is a saving knowledge in the person of Jesus Christ. I needed your grace for than I thought I ever could. You forgive more than I thought you ever could. I was stronger in my head. The truth is I need. Thank is with us and this does not give excuse for our inadequacies but it gives us the wisdom to do things according to your heart and your mind. Give us a personal relationship. Give us experiences upon experiences that will help us know you more and more and only to keep to the life That we have received through our experiences and only speak of the things we know about you in jesus name if you're sick in your body i speak healing if you're bound struggling with anything i speak deliverance in the mighty name of jesus the spirit of struggle and strife ceases in jesus mighty name In Jesus' mighty name, give the Lord a mighty hand clap of praise. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an open invitation. This is the thing we don't get ashamed about. This is the thing you don't do uh, because you've tried to look around to see nobody's watching you. We are not ashamed of the gospel because this is eternal life. So, if you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus, I believe that He has convinced you enough. Repeat this as after me. Say, Lord Jesus. Say, I thank you because you died for my sins, and you were raised for my glory. Today, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. fellowships at the Uma upper gardens from 5 p.m to 9 p.m and for our sunday services at 9 a.m and 11 a.m at the Uma multi-purpose hall finero make manifest